Welcome to Chapter 14 of the Kinsman Die Podcast, home of fantasy fiction based on Norse mythology that's written and read by me, Matt Bishop. In this podcast, I read my first novel, Kinsman Die, one chapter at a time. Every five chapters, I recap the key plot points and provide some insight into the myths I've referenced in the book, as well as some of the creative choices I've made along the way. In Chapter 11, we were with Loki as he argued, himself with himself, beside the Fenninger. In Chapter 12, Hoder Odinson had returned home and shared a meal with his significant other, Alara. In Chapter 13, Vidar and his warband were attacked by the Jotun. Vidar used magic, Sather, taught to him by his father to aid the townsfolk. And in this chapter, we're back with Odin. When we last left him, he was getting ready to ride out to Vidar's aid. Let's do this. Chapter 14. Odin. We are here, Hugin croaked into Odin's mind. Well flown, Odin replied, standing up from cleaning Sleipnir's hooves. What do you see? Fire and smoke, said Munin. Smells of food, added Hugin. My son, the folk of Halls? Folk fled, said Hugin. The fox readies for battle, Munin said. Odin swore to himself. So it absolutely was an attack, and Vidar, riding under his banner of the fox, was about to answer the Jotun in the only tongue they understood. Glancing westward at Saul's descent, Odin swore again. Even if they left now, they still wouldn't arrive until dawn. Have you seen the Jotun? No. Keep looking. Shamans may be there, so be wary. I will arrive by dawn. Yes, Wingfather. He looked down the long double row of armored Einherar, all dismounted alongside their horses, doing the same thing he was doing. Cleaning hooves. A few groused and grumped that the thralls had already done it, but one of the Octamar, walking up and down the line, cracked those fools about the heads. You'd trust your life to the work of someone who might hate you? Who might have reason to see your horse stumble, break a leg, and send you tumbling into a tree? Even though those Octamars were all older, grizzled men, Odin didn't recognize their seamed faces. But they touched their foreheads with respect when they felt his eyes upon them. He bent to finish his task, running his hand down Sleipner's eighth leg, the second rear leg on her right, past the hawk to the hoof. He lifted the hoof and sent the pick round it, checking the crevices. Sound hooves, sound journey. And here I thought to find you impatient at my tardiness. Odin glanced up to see Balder leading his horse into the clearing where they were readying for their ride. Saul broke out from behind the lone afternoon cloud and set Baldur's dark blonde hair to glowing. An impressive sight, is it not, father? Baldur gestured toward the line of horsemen behind him. Most were mounting now, heads capped with leather helms chased with silver. Even their shoulder armor, also leather, bore bright ornamentation. They all held their long spears just so. Wide brown shield straps across their chests and polished sword hilts hanging from every warrior's belt. All of it glinted in the sunlight. Clearly, much of the gold the Ein Harar were granted each month was being spent outfitting the warriors. Each with a sword? Extravagance. Each with a shining helm? Ridiculous. Odin grunted. Pretty enough, but will they hold an edge? Will they stand in the shields when the Jotun bear down upon them? I've missed your poetic turn of phrase, father. It's good to have you back. Baldur's grin seemed to add an extra bit of warmth to the day. Odin grumped more. I don't remember them taking the better part of a day to muster. We need to ride, not fool about with pretty armor, provisions, and tents. 
Forty years is a long time to go without war, Balder said. And so you've all lost your edge then, eh? Balder grinned. It's there, dulled with disuse, maybe. But many old blades will take a new edge, he added more quietly, if need be. Do you disbelieve Vidor's call for help, then? Or Heimdall's eyes? Balder shook his head, golden curls shedding sunlight like dew, his smile fading. Of course not. I knew that not all the Jotun wanted peace. The Skrymir said so himself, and said that he'd deal harshly with those who opposed the treaty. Not harshly enough, it would seem. Not even the Skrymir can control all the tribes, let alone those who stayed away from Jotunheim, Balder said. I'm sure many secret places remain in that broken land. Any number of rogue tribes could hide away, and we'd never know, especially not with Heimdall the way he's been. One of those rogue tribes might have attacked Fithi, but perhaps we can still find a way back to peace. Too many enjoy it for war to win out. Or too few, Odin replied, turning toward the approaching thud of hooves. You don't happen to know why the Jotun attacked, do you, father? Was that a bit of chill in Baldur's tone? He met his son's eyes. How would I know? I just got back. And son, the Skrymir, regardless of who holds that title, rules all the Jotun. There are no rogue tribes in Utgard. Herser Saglin reined in a few paces away and saluted. His armor was even prettier than that of the warriors behind him. Silver highlights glistened in the warm sun, and golden eagle wings rose from the helm, all but inviting an axe to catch upon them. My warband is ready, Sigfather. The Mai set Odin's teeth on edge, but he let it pass. He had embarrassed Taglin earlier today, and he still needed him, at least until he figured out just how broken his Ein Harar might be. Have they been trained to ride with me? Odin asked. A fast ride, mind you. We hunt our enemies, and my power will speed the way. Yes, Sigfather, they've been trained. Some have even ridden with you before, many winters ago. Good, give the order. With a crisp salute, Saglin wheeled his horse and trotted back down the long line of Einherar, calling out the order to prepare for a fast ride as he went. Odin hauled himself up onto Sleipnir's broad, gray back, dug into his bag, and withdrew the spindle he'd just used to enchant Freki and Geri. He met Baldur's gaze, clear and still like a mountain lake on a calm day. Last chance, son. Are you sure you don't want to stay and help prepare for midwinter? Balder laughed. You're right. Sitting in a dark, smoky hall, staring at the walls, listening to Mother and Nana plan the feast would be much better. No, I'm riding with you. Odin grunted. Midwinter was still a week away. Less planning had gone into the Vanir War than these yearly feasts celebrating Midwinter. The festival centered on the main hall in Gladsheim, but celebrations were held at every one of the smaller halls throughout the city. And they lasted for several nights. Gladsheim's hall isn't dark. She glitters gold in the light of a hundred torches. And all her guests cough, wheeze, and wipe grit from their eyes thanks to the smoke from all those torches, Balder countered. It's a wonder it hasn't burned down yet. Nonsense. What smoke there is, if any, mind you, rises high and drifts away, Odin retorted as he unwound a thread from the spindle. Besides, Gladsame's hall is ten times taller than the tallest Asir. Even the tallest among us couldn't touch the spears framing her roof. Not that one would, slick as they are, no doubt, with all the grease from ten thousand meals, Balder said, a broad, shining smile on his face. Odin sniffed. 
Sagalin rode up in a clatter of hooves. Sigfather, we are ready. Odin nodded. Very well. I will check that the way is clear. He sent his mind out, seeking Freki and Geri. I answer, Freki said. And I, said Geri. The way through the city is clear? Yes, Packfather. Good. Go quickly. Clear the way to Vithi and halls beyond. We go. He nodded to Sagland. Give the order to move out. Herr Sir Saglin lifted a silver horn to his lips and blew a few sharp notes. Before their echoes faded, Odin squeezed his legs together, Sleipnir whinnied, tossed her silvery mane, and began walking. Balder fell in beside him on his right, Sagland on his left. And behind them, the first Odin-led warband in more than twenty winters rode out. Odin extended his hand and Gungnir flickered into it. He settled the dark-ashed shaft of the long spear into the crook of his arm and let it slide down until it was braced in his stirrup. He unscrewed the cap at one end of the crossbar below Gungnir's foot-long blade, withdrew the hollow spindle from his bag, slotted it into the crossbar, screwed the cap back on, and teased free the thread. The spindle rattled and the thread glowed like the dense coils of Sif's hair after Loki had made good his promise to replace it. Odin smiled at the memory of that mischief, remembered laughing to himself about it until Thor had returned from the east and flown into a rage. He had ordered his blood brother to make it right. Loki had done more than that. He had not only convinced the Svartalar smiths to weave new hair from the finest gold, but also to craft marvelous weapons and devices. Gungnir had been one of them. His heavy gold arm ring was another. Odin glanced at Sagland and nodded. The hairsir blew another short, silvery sequence into the chill air. The column shifted into a trot, hooves thudding on the frozen road. Warned by the wolves that the Allfather would be riding, the folk had lined Gladsheim's streets. Children sat upon their parents' shoulders. Older boys and girls sat on the low-thatched roofs of the longhouses, smoke rising from the holes cut in the roofs. The most adventurous perched on the high, stout beams of smithies, tanneries, and stables. Odin raised Gungnir, saluting the crowds of Asir lining the street. Their answering roar rolled back from the city's high central cliff. The crowds grew thicker as Odin and his warriors wound through the city, following the broad road that looped like a noose around the central hill before heading westward. And then he had to squint to see anything beyond Sleipnir's ears as they turned into the dazzling sun along the stone road that flowed out Gladsheim's western gate. Now Odin raised a clenched fist, and Saglin blew the staccato call for make ready. The column thundered now through the western gate. Heavy timbers stretched high overhead. Broken stone filled the gap between the inner and outer row of timber. The gate itself, iron-banded wood, stood wide. Odin braced Gungnir against his stirrup and trusted Sleipnir to lead the column straight along the road. He closed his eyes and listened close for the beat of Sleipnir's eight hooves to overlap the cadence of the other horses. Once he found the rhythm, he raised the witch thread to his lips and sang his charm. The tip of the thread incandesced brighter than a falling forge spark. He flicked his wrist and sent it plunging forward into Sleipnir's chest. Faster than thought, the thread of light emerged from Sleipnir's side and plunged into the chest of Shining, Baldur's Mount. From there, it speared through every horse in the long column until the tip came back around to Odin's hand. With a deft flex of his fingers, he twisted the tip around itself and flung it back down through Sleipnir and around the column again. Each pass wove the loop tighter around the company of Einherar. And with each pass, he sewed more strength into the horses. 
With each pass, he more strongly felt their hearts and lungs and legs beating in time with Sleipner's. He urged Sleipner to move faster, a canter and then a gallop, and still he sang strength into the horses. His spindle rattled around Gungnir's crossbars, the thread unspooled. Another weave, and they moved faster than any horse could sprint. A final cast, and the sound of their hooves became like the ocean's roar. Around them, the landscape blurred into the dull browns and muted greens and brilliant whites of Asgard in winter. Well, folks, that was chapter 14 of Kinsmen Die. I hope you enjoyed it. Odin and Baldur, along with the Einherar, ride through the city of Gladsheim to aid Vidar. Odin used one of the songs that only he knows, the song being a magic charm, a galder. And I'll have much more to say about those songs that only Odin knows in the next recap episode. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, I have several requests. Please leave a review on whatever podcast app or platform you use. They really help. And please share the podcast. That also helps a ton. And finally, please consider supporting my work by buying my books or in some other way. Likes, follows, Patreon, Locals, Rumble, YouTube, etc. I'd also enjoy hearing from you. You can email me at mattbishoprights at gmail.com. And as always, I'm going to read from the Havamal, the sayings of the High One, Odin. But this week, I'm going to read from four different translations. And a word on that after I'm done reading each of the different selections. The first one is going to be Bellows, which is what I usually read. The next will be Larrington, then Crawford, and then a literal, more word-for-word translation by a gentleman named Kodratov. First up is Bellows. And this is verse 14. Drunk I was. I was dead drunk. When with Fjallar wise I was. Tis the best of drinking if back one brings his wisdom with him home. Next is Larrington, and again, verse 14. Drunk I was, I was more than drunk at wise fiallers. That's the best about ale drinking, that afterwards every man gets his mind back again. And now Crawford. I was drunk, I was too drunk, at fiallers' house. The best kind of feast is the one you go home from with all your wits about you. And finally, the more literal translation by Kadratov. Drunk I have been, have been totally drunk at learned Fialar's home, because a drinking party is at its best when later comes up to the drinker what controls the man's spirit. Okay, so why the four different translations? And probably looking at the, trans- uh, the transcript of this episode would help, but it was because I found the last two verses in Bellows kind of confusing. And again, those are, "'Tis the best of drinking if back one brings his wisdom with him home." My interpretation of this, just from a a language standpoint, is Bellows is translating it as, "'The best drinking is when you bring your wisdom back home with you.'" Larrington seems to be saying, "'The best of drinking is when you sober up.'" Crawford is saying, "'You get home safe with your wits about you.'" And Kodratov, and in his uh, PDF that I'll link, suggests that this is a much more mystical translation or a much more mystical set of verses than is perhaps suggested in the other translations. His argument is that it's as if drinking, the state of being drunk, shows to the drinker what controls his or her spirit. 
And maybe it means that you drink yourself completely, you know, blotto, and that unleashes your creative spirit, which you can then take advantage of. And remember that Odin, his name can translate to not just terrifying, but also fury and the madness of being perhaps in this creative expression, this creative output that you can sometimes perhaps only get to when you're under the influence of kind of these mind-altering um, drugs, like in this particular example, alcohol of some type. A few additional comments are that Odin, obviously, he says he was drunk. So when he warns people about the dangers of beer and ale, he apparently has some experience of that. And maybe it's not so much that he's warning people about, if we, this last uh, more mystical interpretation of these verses, it's not so much that it's just getting drunk and embarrassing yourself or getting into a fight or what have you. It's when you do that, you open up a gateway in your mind and your spirit to something other, something that comes in and maybe has some control over you or gets you to produce something creatively that you might not all ordinarily have been able to produce. Fjallar is another name possibly for Sotung, and we can talk a little bit about that maybe in a bonus episode. It could also be the name, Fjallar could also be the name for the dwarf, the Svart Alvar, who, along with his brother, murdered Kvasir, and from that man's blood, brewed the meat of poetry. And Sotung is the one who took ownership of the meat of poetry after Fjallar. This is all involved in a story about Odin's theft of the meat of poetry, and that's a pretty important story that, again, is probably best left to a bonus episode, nor does it directly factor into my story except as backstory for Odin. And this drinking party that Odin is referring to in these verses reminds me of other verses, both in the Havamal and in the Vathrusnismal as a whole, in which guests might engage in a contest of wits with maybe the host or maybe with other guests. So it's maybe not impossible that Odin's also saying that, hey, I survived uh, a drunken party and I got out of it with my mind and body intact, which is kind of what Larrington and Crawford seem to be implying in their translations. So I'm not sure anybody really knows what is meant in, in these particular verses, but uh, it's certainly interesting to think about and to speculate on. Until next time, thanks very much.